Jim? Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jim. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. We don't have much here to talk about, do we? (laughs) We do have something to talk about, which is that Chile has said they're going to issue immunity cards. And we've talked about this a little bit, but it's the idea basically that you could get a test for antibodies. And if you were found to be immune to the disease, then you might be able to operate in the world without risk. And people have been proposing this as a as one way that we could create a system to get people back in the workforce, get businesses up and running again, is basically by determining who is immune, giving them some sort of like passport or card or something, and being like, you're free to go about life. I had heard about... Was maybe it was China that could scan your phone and you could have this digital passport sort of thing that would tell you? I don't know. Is I didn't hear really? anything about China. Okay. But I know that a company has made an app called Corona Pass. Oh, my. <laughs> Is it like ClassPass? Yeah, it's probably exactly like that. No, it's a, there's some, you know, of course, because there's an app for everything. Someone's already, like, made the app for immunity to coronavirus. Oh, great. The UK is thinking about it. Yeah. Germany is thinking about it. Fauci said we might probably need to think about it. Yeah, um, yeah, right. So, yeah, I think there are sort of logistical and practical questions, scientific questions, and then there are these sort of, like, philosophical and societal questions about how something like that is actually going to work. You know, why don't we call Sarah? So Sarah Zhang is a staff writer here. She's been doing great science reporting on the immune responses, possible treatments, possible tests. But she, before she was been covering sort of coronavirus and immunity, she has a long history of covering DNA. Genetics, if you will. Genetics is a, is a field of study, and DNA is an element of our cells, the building blocks of life, if you will. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, no, I totally both. understand. Yeah. Sorry. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hello. So we could chit chat, but I feel like my my new approach is just has anything really good or bad happened to you recently? Um, my cats are really happy. Um, we kind of have this new routine now, and they like to stay in bed as long as we can stay in bed, which is longer now since we don't have to commute. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're really happy about that. That's the good thing. Cats are happy. Someone should be. Um, so we have a bunch of questions about immunity. So many cards questions. Cards, specifically. I have a lot of questions, too. Okay, so we'll <laughs> just throw them all out there. <laughs> I guess the first question is just like, I heard that Chile is starting to roll out a program today to give people immunity cards. Like, how widespread is this? notion and like how close is it to being implemented in different countries yeah i think chile started okay but now they're going to do this i I, there aren't very many details about exactly what it's like and i think that's kind of continuous theme um a bunch of other countries have like thrown out this idea like germany and the uk and germany has kind of a scientist working on tests 
antibody tests to um, that they are hopefully saying is going to be very accurate. They can tell us who is immune and who is not. And the UK had kind of floated this idea a few weeks ago, and the health minister has said maybe people wear wristbands. Um, and then it came out that they had bought 3.5 million uh, antibody tests from China that turned out not to work. Um, so I think there's maybe a little bit of caution ahead as we jump into this new world of immunity certificates or immunity passports. Yeah. What are the names for them? Are people trying to find like a euphemism for them that isn't sort of terrifying and dystopian? <laughs> I think anytime you have some sort of official documentation that tells you what you can or cannot do, it's going to be dystopian no matter what friendly name you give it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of layers of this. First is that we just don't know how immunity to the virus itself works, and we don't know exactly how long it will last. Um, the The problem with antibody tests is that they can pick up false negatives and they can pick up false positives. And so, for example, if you have a test that maybe is, you know, 5% of people that take them have false positives, but the number of people that have actually had this virus is maybe only also only 5%. And at this point, we don't know because we don't have antibody tests. It's a little bit circular. Um, but if the you know, false positive is 5% and only five people out there taking it at 5%, that means half the people who are saying that they are quote-unquote immune actually are not actually immune. So you may be sending people out there who think that they're immune, but they're not. And that could be you know half or even more, depending on how many people have actually had the virus. Right. And that and that's a pretty high consequence decision, right? Sending people out saying, especially because we might be using these to say who should go teach school or serve as a healthcare worker or do some sort of some sort of essential work that could actually land them at high risk if they weren't in fact immune. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. The whole point is that we're using these tests to send people who really need to go out to do their jobs, to do work, right? You know, when you're making such a high consequence decision on these tests that are really new, um, it's, it's a lot to put on them. Yeah. So my friend went to this urgent care in, in Culver City in L.A. and uh, got one done, a test for IgM and IgG antibodies. Mm-hmm. Um, Which means what? So these are these different forms of antibodies that appear at different time periods after you're infected. And we use those to understand uh, how recently you were infected. And IgM comes up first and then IgG later and IgG lasts longer. So if you just have IgM, it says you, uh, you have had recent exposure to the virus and are in the early stages of infection. If you have both positive, they're telling patients you have a less recent exposure and you're in the middle phases of an infection. And if you have IgG positive, it says, this is the key one, you had a past infection and have built some level of immunity. So that's what he's been told. Some level. Does he have some level of immunity? (laughs) I I would think yes, except there is the fact that, uh, just like Sarah mentioned, you have these false positives, which could be coming from antibodies to actually another virus cross-reacting like another coronavirus. Those cards should just say, honestly, we have no idea. <laughs> no, it's better than nothing. It's interesting. It's a data point, I think. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. Has, has that nothing been validated yeah. in the U.S.? So you think this is a, a bogus test, Sarah? I, I think there are a couple, a few that have been validated in the U.S. So, you know, even if a test has been validated, as we're talking about, even a validated test will have some percentage of false positives because just all tests, none of them are really 100% ever. 
so we're kind of yeah we're just like at this point where like you get an answer and you think you're gonna get certainty but really you just get a little bit more uncertainty did you is that what you're looking for Catherine? a little more uncertainty here yeah because you you were feeling a little too certain this morning (laughs) yeah I, I think one question I have is, okay, I, I think I understand the problems with the antibody tests right now, but are, are those problems solvable and on what timeline? So I think antibody tests themselves, like as one scientist once told me, they're, they're not rocket science. We have antibody tests for lots of other viruses and you can like go to your doctor's office now and get like a measles antibody test, for example, which I've done before. Um, and I could definitely see a world in which like this does become a routine thing that you get at your doctor's office. I think we're just at the point now where there's like kind of a real race to like jump in and lots and lots of people are trying to develop these tests and some people are legitimate and like their tests could probably be used right now. And then there are some people who tests are maybe slightly less legitimate and we just don't really always know the like who is who at this point because we're so early. Yeah. I know I know y'all don't like making timeline predictions, but I'm gonna ask you anyway. You know, there's this imaginary world where we have a widespread antibody test and we know what it means. And we know that like X amount of IgG or whatever, it means you're immune and not contagious. And then we have enough of those tests that people can get tested regularly anywhere in the country. When is that going to happen? I think the first one, getting a test that we know works, is going to come a lot quicker than getting a test that uh, everyone can have, right? Like, we've been talking about uh, just tests for viruses that detect whether you have the virus or not. Like, we knew how to make those, like, months ago, and we're still at the point where not everyone can get a test if they want one. So I think the really hard part is actually not going to be the uh, making the test itself, but making sure that everyone is able to get a test and maybe more than once if we're going to be worried about um, you know, people's uh, the antibody levels changing over time. That was an incredibly deft avoidance of the question. Jim, <laughs> when? <laughs> when? You're asking the wrong person. What I want is the, a quantitative thing and then some studies to show me exactly how many antibodies any given sort of person needs to be protected. Right. So that's like three months from now. That's a year from now. That's... We'll, we'll have those research studies um, months. So, well, so if you want a prediction, <laughs> everything... I just want to see, I, I mean, y'all both know so much about this that you have sort of a built-in sense of, you know, the general range. But I have, knowing nothing about this, I'm like, I don't know, can you do that in like a week? Can you do that? Is that the kind of thing that takes four years? You could tell me either one and I'd be like, guess that's how the science works. I don't know. You know, so even just any like general sense of like how long these processes take. You remember we were talking about these as a theoretical possibility like three weeks ago on the show. Mm -hmm, And now they're mm -hmm. now they're here and they're not going to immediately be perfect or good. But we have reasonable expectations that if this disease does prove to work like lots of other viruses, then we should be able to have a somewhat reliable test, uh, pretty widely available within months, I would say. Does that sound right to you, Sarah? Because you know know more about this issue than I do. I don't want to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know that does sound right. And and, and Catherine's always asking for these distillations, which just are impossible. (laughs) Okay, so months... In months, hopefully, we will have meaningful, widespread antibody tests. Yes. Okay. Can we talk about the hypothetical for a minute? 
the hypothetical fantasy world. And the plan was we're going to roll out widespread use of antibody tests and we're going to try to get people back participating in life and the economy as soon as possible. For the people who would be, even if it's 5%, for that 5% of people who would be able to participate, how, like, logistically, what does it look like? They have, like, a an app on their phone? They have a wristband? Like, what is it? Those are all things that have been proposed, and no one has quite figured out exactly what we're going to do or how we're going to check people to make sure that they actually are, as they say. Um, you know, because one of the the kind of kind of maybe unintended but almost obvious consequences is that if you make it so that only people who are immune can get a job, for example, um, you could very well incentivize people to get sick so they can work, you know, especially right. since we're at a point where we have such high unemployment and lots and lots of people have lost their jobs otherwise. Um, so if that's the case, could you also, would you also have people trying to fake their certificates? Um, and that's, just uh, we we don't we just don't even literally know like what such a certificate or a passport or an ID or a wristband or an app would even look like. It does seem like a card that identifies your immunity and therefore allows you to participate in society. It seems like it could actually escalate an outbreak by perversely incentivizing people to get the virus. Exactly. And at this point, like you could say like, oh, all the people who didn't social distance when we were supposed to and they right. were the ones who got sick. Well, now they're the ones that can go to work and have these certificates. Yeah. The people who didn't follow the rules. Well, Either them or people who had to had to work, essential work. Yeah. I think that's a difficult thing to say that people who right. been sick didn't follow the rules. Um, right. Has there ever been anything like this before? Like, is this the first time in human history we've had to consider something like this? I imagine with earlier outbreaks, these some of these questions have been raised. Yeah, so I, I've been looking a little bit into what happened with the yellow fever in the 20th century in New Orleans. And um, so yellow fever is this virus that's spread by mosquitoes. And no one in 19th century New Orleans really knew that, nor did they really know how many work. But they did also notice that um, it was newcomers to the city who most often got sick. And uh, the word they used was acclimated or acclimation. And so new migrants who had come to the city, when they looked for jobs, they would try to uh, try to get sick right away because it was only when you were acclimated that people wanted to uh, rent to you in a boarding house, for example, or let let their daughters marry you or even give you a job because, uh, you know, they're literally um, employers kind of lamenting that they just hired this new clerk and trained them and then they got yellow fever and they died. So, Wait, so that created the exact kind of um, perverse incentive that you're talking about? Like people were incentivized to get it? Yes. And and they didn't really, you know, they didn't really understand the disease, but they did notice that if you got it before, you didn't seem to get it again. So I think it was like called the baptism of citizenship. It was thing you needed to do so you could be like a member a proper member of society there we still do this right just in a safer way with yeah some vaccines is that what you're thinking yeah you can't go to school you can't have a job you can't have an income it, the other stuff depending what sector you work in if you haven't gone through this really what you, kind of jobs can you not get if you're not vaccinated you can't work in a hospital and you have to get I'd have to get regular titers of things like hepatitis B antibodies to make sure that I still had immunity. So it's a something we've been doing for a while. So does it not scare you? Does it seem kind of reasonable to you both that this would be the path forward and it can be done rationally and safely? Um, God. 
I think what's interesting about this to me is that immunity kind of creates this new division in our society, right? Like suddenly you have um, people who are like the haves and have nots, the haves in which having immunity. And anytime you have this new division and anytime you have some people are able to do things, other people aren't, I, I think it just makes me slightly nervous about what that will mean. And I think it's just going to kind of reconfigure our relation to each other. And um, so we're living in a time of profoundly high unemployment and people are having a really hard time um, paying their rent and buying food. And that, in addition to the sudden incentives where who are the people who are going to be able to work? I think that like kind of profound inequality along with this new sort of privilege, I think those two things intersecting make me nervous. Can you give me some scenarios that you're worried about specifically? So imagine like you're a uh, food delivery service and you, of course, only want to hire people who are not going to get sick. Well, if you are someone who's sitting at home and you, you know, have rent coming up uh, in a week and you don't know how to pay, maybe you think, well, getting sick and then recovering, that's going to open up this whole set of doors to me now that are currently closed. Especially people who are young who might think that, oh, you know, like I can get over this. What if you see them trying to infect themselves so that they can have immunity so they can get that job because employers not only want to hire people who are immune. I would like Sarah to solve these problems for us and lay out a roadmap of precisely what can and should be done here. I know. And a date. If I could, if, if I could, I wouldn't be a journalist. Okay. Okay. Um, if, without pressure for a date, have you spoken to any experts who've laid out anything, any plan with confidence of what this could look like in a maximally ethically possible way? Uh, if I'm going to be honest, no. Okay. All right. No, no, no. That's fine. I think I think people are thinking about it, but we're not at that point yet. Right, right. I mean, I think the thing I'm taking away is I keep uh, hoping for solutions. But I think one of the things I latched onto in my mind as a possible solution was antibody testing. And it seems like not only is it logistically and scientifically far off, but it is an ethical and civil rights minefield. And it's not gonna be the solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think antibody testing is not the like cure all that's going to open up society and make life normal again. Um, I think where it's going to be really important for, for research, it's going to be really important for telling us how many people have actually just like a very basic question of how many people have actually had COVID-19 and we don't know that at this point. Um, it's going to be important for us to understand like how many people are asymptomatic. But I think the the very kind of early data we're getting on that is that that number of people is not so high that so many people have had it that we can start going back to normal. And I think unfortunately antibody testing is, you know, until we get to the point where lots and lots of people have had it, it's not going to get us back to a normal life soon. It's only going to be like one toolbox to tell us how do we prioritize who gets to do what, but it's not going to be going back to our 2019 lives. Yeah. Okay. So antibody <laughs> testing, more complicated than you thought, not a cure-all. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, thank you, Sarah. This has been quite illuminating. I'm going to have to think about this, but I would appreciate if you could send photos of your cats. <laughs> okay. I'm sure they'll be happy to. Thanks for taking Yeah, the thanks time. so Thank much. Thank you, guys. This is really helpful, sir. Okay, Cool. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Ugh. Well, I 
Okay. This has been, it's been somewhat distressing, but I guess some days that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We're going to keep an eye on this because uh, it's what everyone wants right now. And people are going through and getting these drive-through pinprick antibody tests at a crazy rate. And we're supposed to be getting them this week in New York. So we're going to have this information. We're going to have to deal with it no matter what. We need to talk about this. Even if Sarah and I don't have a satisfying answer for you, I think it's worth considering all the ways this, this could go wrong before we just, everyone starts doing some Instagram hashtag about whether they're one of the chosen few, right? right. I don't know what that would be. Hashtag IgG. Hashtag IgG positive, but still got love for all my IgG negatives. <laughs> You know, yeah, that would like, be horrendous. Uh, oh, you're immunity bragging again, aren't you? Ugh. Ugh. Oh, my God. What could make Instagram worse? That could make Instagram worse. Okay. There you go. There's something petty to be mad about. That always makes me feel better. <laughs> that helps. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Think about, it, like, people being irritating on Instagram always lifts my mood. So I appreciate that. Um in any case, this show today was produced by Alvin Melleth with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. Um, what should we tell people to do today? What is what is the thing to do today? Uh, donate blood. Donate blood. Donate blood. And then if you do, write us at socialdistance at theatlantic.com and let us know that you did. All right. Okay. I think we're done. Okay. Bye. 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 <laughs>